0: This is the Post-Shift Podcast, a broad we'll look at the hospitality industry. Hey, Post-Shifters, and welcome to another episode of the Post-Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Sewell, obviously, and this is another episode of uh, the Lisbon Bar Show series. So I've got uh, four or five podcasts based around what I did in Lisbon Bar Show a couple of weeks ago. Um, this one is with Nicola Risky, who is the... Oh, Western Europe and Lower Europe something or other, McAllen, the McAllen brand ambassador. Um, she is a born and bred Canadian. She has worked at a uh, circus. Um, she is an amazing uh, woman. She's one of my favorite people, and I'm so glad I got to sit down and chat to her. She talk, geeks out about olives and whiskey and being in the Circus Soleil and all these different things, and uh, it was a real pleasure to interview her. Um just an amazing little human being. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Um, thank you very much for your support. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Back to Ulysses. I hung out. And there was, Ulysses was packed, which is easy. But like it was packed with like it four couples. So cool. It is so
1: cool. Yeah. <laughs> four, cu-
0: four couples. So me and Norris Depp stood out on the street. And we just and we talked to people about bar stuff so Manny was standing in the bar and me and Orin on the other end and we we're just talking so people were just enjoying it was really it's a very interesting experience to go to Ulysses because it's you it's, it's, it's it 10 seats and the seats are side by side and that when you sit on the seat your knees are touching
1: <laughs> it's and, cozy
0: yeah and yeah. so it's 10 seats that's it amazing and Manny does really really well there like drinks are like 15 euros which is perfect.
1: And it just opened in the last uh, six months or uh, so? Or I
0: think it's been about a year and a half now. But he's cool. way down on the wall. Like he's way down on the thing. So that's why I was like, I got up this morning at 9.30 and I had a few messages from um, Singapore and I looked up the address for here and I'm like, oh crap, this is half an hour away from where I was thinking. <laughs> like, it's Sorry. Fine. It's completely fine. <laughs> but, uh,
1: I know, I'm in a totally different area this time.
0: And, uh, yeah, I it, yeah, it was like, okay, well, I'll, get, I'll start getting ready. And then every with Singapore being next week, it's just insane.
1: Can you tell me about that? Because
0: um,
1: it, it sounds amazing. You know it's my
0: podcast, and I'm supposed to be interviewing you, right? <laughs> That's right.
1: Okay, I want to hear, though. I just want to um, catch up. <laughs> so
0: um, a friend of mine moved to Singapore a couple of years ago, and he's in the pharmaceutical business, and he invested in a bar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's in a very um, it's an American sports bar. So it's very geared towards, like, it's very mouse-centric. Like, the, the boys go there, drink their beers, watch Rugby League and the Union and stuff like that, and smoke cigarettes, and the girls Fun are, stuff you do on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and the girls are sort of a secondary market. Yeah. Um, so they the space next door came up, and so they took it. And so we're opening a place called Misfits, and um, it's very old, it's very... The look is very pastels, blues, and that sort of thing. So we're doing old world Spanish in the front, so in a very it's a very clean, nice, fun area. And then in the back, there's a 25 seat speakeasy called Roxy that we're going to do all new world Latin. So we'll do New World Latin America.
1: In the Does back. this mean you need to come to Spain to do a little bit of research and then? <laughs> it,
0: it, it, it quite possibly, it could be able come to Spain.
1: <laughs> then a trip to Argentina, Yeah, so yeah, very... like, yeah
0: something simple like there's going to be lots of gin and tonics and spritzes and like mixed drinks, Queen of Spritz. It so yeah. makes sense. So, Cherry
1: cocktails, yeah, that like sort that. of thing. Uh, I,
0: I'm going to hit the ground running because I haven't been to Singapore before. I haven't. I haven't seen the culture so I don't know what's available I don't know what's approachable for people I don't know like it, to here I did a Fenerbahce cocktail in my seminar mm. Fenerbahce cocktail in my seminar did not go down well
1: I'm um, sorry it so did not
0: go down well what
1: was it? it Fenerbahce was... Branca cocktail like oh really? Fenerbahce. oh yeah
0: Portuguese apparently don't like Fenerbahce so I did a Fenerbahce cocktail with like chocolate coffee and, and bourbon old-fashioned style so a really approachable like yeah. industry black Russian and uh, I saw people in the crowd, it was my first cocktail, I saw people go in the crowd go sip
1: and put it in and I'm just like,
0: oh crap, the next half hour of my seminar is going to be really difficult to explain to you people.
1: <laughs> it's pretty interesting to see culturally, um, traveling through different, through different countries and understanding tradition, understanding culture, understanding flavors is a whole other thing. Um, in Spain, everybody seems to have this perception that the Spaniards like spicy things, and they don't. Huh. Unless it's patatas bravas, which that's pretty much as spicy as it can get. Um,
0: well, what's, why, why do they have that? I
1: you don't know. People seem to think, I think because perhaps they think of more... Um, South American cuisine, um, Mexican cuisine, things yeah. like that, that they immediately think Spanish, Spanish. Well, they speak Spanish, therefore over <laughs> here they'll be the same. And it's really not. And in Spain, like n- nothing spicy, they're not big on um, peated whiskeys. Huh? Um, I've seen Lafroigue, of course. I've seen <laughs> some peated whiskies be used in cocktails. Yeah. Um, Highland Park and whatnot.
0: But it's still, um, But yeah. It's still not... It's
1: still, yeah, it's not a... Because uh, of it's tasted. not a huge thing it's it's growing but yeah. it's still um, kind of quite new Yeah. So I think
0: for whiskey culture anywhere I, would, I find when the independent bottlers do something yeah. it's really representational I've tasted Italian independent bottlers and you taste what the Italians are looking for in whiskey.
1: Italians are crazy about their independent yeah. bottlers, though. That yeah. started with Samaroli, yeah. right, and, but years you ago. you taste
0: and you're like, this is not what this brand, is. like it says the distillery on the label, and you're like, this is not what this brand usually tastes like.
1: <laughs> Much lighter and
0: floral, and then chasing it in flavor profile, it's very, very different than the, even what the distillery says on the label. So, well, you, we may as well introduce yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi,
1: Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so... You're the brand ambassador for McAllen. Yes. At Highland Park.
1: The McAllen. Just McAllen? Just McAllen? Oh, wow. Very
0: interesting. We don't usually have that in North America. Well, a little bit, but not in Canada for sure. Like Canada, where you'd be... Oh, you're McAllen, Highland Park, Glenroth, like, and all these other brands.
1: Right, covering, yeah. so in, in Canada, we have our, our whiskey portfolio ambassadors that are covering the Macallan, also from Highland Park and Glenrothes. In my role, um, I do get to talk about Glenrothes and Highland Park to the trade in terms mm-hmm. of education and in terms of. Working with my with my various distributors across all of my different regions. Mm -hmm. However, um, my main focus uh, is always the Macallan. And which 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 region? So central and southern Europe uh, predominantly.
0: That's substantial.
1: It's big. Um, It really is. When I first moved out here, I thought I had five regions, and then discovered I had fourteen. Now I think it's down to eight, repairing it back a little bit. We so. regions. You're talking
0: about eight countries.
1: Yes. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Let's be specific. It's not, eight, it's not like eight regions, like all couple of suburbs of Toronto. We're talking about eight <laughs> countries.
1: But it's, uh, it's pretty incredible because I cover some of the most, uh, for me, some of the most interesting and wonderful countries in the world. Spain, Portugal, uh, Italy, Switzerland, France, Greece, uh, Gibraltar. Uh, so Belgium, some a lot of countries that I haven't had a chance to really explore yet. I got to go to Cyprus for the first time last oh, wow. December, which was phenomenal.
0: That's cool. And
1: yeah. And, and how'd you get into all this? I into, into whiskey. Uh, into
0: the industry in general.
1: In the industry in general, I I would say I fell into it by accident, mm-hmm. um, and uh, which I did. I I was working in freelance marketing back in two thousand. Three, two thousand four, and I first started off in freelance marketing, actually in automotive, in high end, in high performance vehicles, high end okay. sports cars.
0: Oh. Have you got a fascination with high end, high end vehicles?
1: I didn't at the time, and then I fell in love with it. I started working for, um, I started working for Porsche. Oh wow! Because I started off with this incredible company that just makes really, really amazing cars. Yeah. I, I fell in love with it. I knew nothing about it and then studied basically the physics of racing and the engineering of the vehicles Sweet. with a bunch of ex Mans race car drivers. I'm not oh, I'm kidding. Um, when I started with Porsche, it's actually, it's pretty funny because um, I did not have a driver's license. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Um, and I got hired on to work with them as a as a product specialist for Porsche Cars North America, so covering both Canada and the United States, and they needed someone who spoke both French and English and um, could handle could handle all the requirements needed for it. And I went and interviewed with them and just dove into the brand and. Uh, I now have a driver's license, <laughs> but I actually got to test drive the cars on the track with oh, a bunch wow. of ex race car drivers who were who are our teachers the entire week.
0: That's crazy. And
1: I, the thing was, I nailed it. And they were like, you've got a little race car driver in you. And I was like, let's do that again. <laughs> that is amazing. I think that with cars, what's fascinating is most people think, they think about horsepower, they think yeah. about torque, they think about engine size and whatnot, but really for me, I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with brakes. So yeah, really, really good ceramic composite brakes I think are one of the sexiest things on a vehicle. (laughs) I'm serious that one of the first things that I'll look at when people are like, oh, let's look at the Italian leather inside and the hand-stitched this and that and whatnot in a car, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at those wheels. I'm like, let's go stare at those wheels because they're beautiful. Because when you're going at high speeds, There is nothing more exciting than slamming on those brakes and testing it. Really, really testing it out. Wow. So, um, yes, I I basically learned through that. In a safe environment, I want to say, of course, on a track. But but through that, I I fell in love with cars. Now, that's how I started in marketing. And um, then I expanded my clients, and I started to do some freelance work uh, in the spirits industry. And basically... When I started off in the spirits industry, worked on a number of different spirits, on vodkas, on rums, on gins, and everything, and this was around, this was in 2005, and I was introduced to Scotch whiskey, and I am, I'm a Canadian with Scottish roots, I talk about this a lot, because it's true, it's, it's a part of... If, you're, if you are a Canadian, you know how Canadians always were like, where are you from? And you don't yeah. say you're from Canada unless you're outside of the yeah. country. If you're in Canada, you're like, oh, well, my mother is this and yeah. my father is that and this and that and everything. And you always end up talking about your history, your heritage, your culture. Now, interesting fact, there are 4.7 million people in Canada who identify themselves of Scottish heritage and culture. Mm-hmm. And there are 5.3 million Scots. Yeah. So we're nearly the same equivalent size size in country, Um, and so and those those Scottish uh, those those Scottish Canadians were very very proud. We wear our kilts at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. I grew up with my great uncle Mac playing the bagpipes. We had West Highland Terriers, which my family Malcolm Clan uh, apparently founded, and so created (laughs) created the breed, and so. So it's always been a part of my history. And so when I was suddenly introduced to it, I was drawn into it because of the the history, because it was something that being living in New York City at that time, I didn't have that connection. And suddenly I found something where I said, this this reminds me of my family, this reminds me of my home, this reminds me of where I'm from. And then it was through that, that some really excellent brand ambassadors, they saw my they saw how keen I was. They saw how interested I was, and they um, they saw my interest and taught me to appreciate my palate. Um, and I'm, I it's a lesson that stayed with me forever and ever. Was that moment where it wasn't hear your tasting notes. Study this, learn that, know what this is. You know, this is the nose. This is the palate. This is the finish. It was. What do you smell? Yeah. What do you taste? How do you feel? What do you think? let's talk about and then starting to understand oh well if you're getting some vanilla that's perhaps coming from that american oak if you're getting some of those cinnamon spice notes some of those nutmeg notes perhaps there's some european oak that's being used in there and it's coming from that and being able to break that down and being able to just use your senses and be open and it's it's a creative exploration it's fun you know, and so I was lucky enough that I had those ambassadors right from the start who encouraged me to be open and to learn and to ask questions. And I feel like that's what I try, what I try to embrace still every single day in everything that I do. Um, every day I feel everything that I, every time I learn something new, I have five more questions and I feel like it's one step forward, two steps yeah. back. And to just... Um, I actually I like keeping that attitude of just being like I know nothing. Yeah. Okay. Back to it's like snakes and ladders. Yeah. Okay. Back down to the bottom. Let's start again. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna start learning again. I have some more questions. Let's take this one step at a time, and that's kind of the beauty of whiskey for me. So is when that you it become like
0: a, a proper like full fledged ambassador. ambassador.
1: So I did my freelance work in marketing 2005 2006, and then. Um, by an odd turn of events, <laughs> I ended up, um, I was doing some marketing work for uh, a partner of Cirque du Soleil, yeah. and while I was there, um, they, I had a lot of tour management experience yeah. through my marketing work, yeah. and so i had done a lot of uh, traveling around, uh, around the United States with a lot of different marketing programs, and the, the general manager on the tour saw my, my work and he said, you've earned your tiger stripes why don't you come and build a tour with us in Montreal? It's like, I'm building a new tour, I want you to be a part of the team. And I thought, you know, right now is a really good time for me to do a little bit of um, exploring the world and how can you say no to, to, to running de away with Cirque du Soleil? <laughs> so I decided to go and work um, in tour services with them for three years. Oh, wow. And so I hit the road, built the tour out in Montreal, um, went and worked on the road and um, learned how to drive a forklift, learned how to load and unload 60 semi trucks and put up wow. a big top tent. And, yeah, uh, it definitely challenged you me enough. Don't have people for that? <laughs> it's what we all do. That's wow. the thing. And, yeah, we all learn how to work with our hard hats. And um, when I was with the circus, my, I had a nickname. Um, my nickname was Monkey. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I'm pretty small and I'm not afraid to climb. And so, because I'm tiny, I could fit in all of the little nooks and crannies inside of a semi truck. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they'd be like, Nicola. Get in there with your steel toes. We need you to climb up top and and pull this up. Wow. (laughs) And so um, usually when we'd be lifting things into the semi, um, I'd be the one up on top. You couldn't see me, but you could hear me all the way up at the top of the truck, basically, um, throwing myself against road cases and climbing up. And what's what's funny is um, through that, uh, in whiskey now, what I love doing when I go to Scotland, when I go to the Macallan, is going and... Um, I love going and, and, and uh, filling casks with the guys and working in the warehouses no. and it reminds me, of, because it reminds me a lot of my circus time because of the teamwork and how also working outdoors. Hmm?
0: How old were you when you to the circus?
1: How, how long? Old. How old was I when I was yeah. at the circus? I'm like, how old am I now? <laughs> um, that would have been uh, in my early thirties.
0: So you ran away with the circus in your early thirties? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. So it was fantastic, and it's still part of my extended family. I have I actually just last weekend caught up with a with another um, with another Cirque family member when she was passing through Madrid. That's crazy. And so we got to catch up over a, uh, over a cup of coffee. But it's normal, and Circus family is um, Circus family's forever. Yeah. It's this it's this amazing village basically. You have a moving village of 150 people from 20, at the time we had, I think, 22 different countries represented, all wow. different languages, all different backgrounds. Um, I remember some people when they would first come on tour, uh, didn't speak any English at all. And so trying to make them feel comfortable, welcome, um, and at ease, because it's pretty scary yeah. when you arrive for the first time and no one else speaks your language. So being able to greet them in whatever their first language was, um, getting them acquainted with, uh, connecting them with English classes and everything and settling in and becoming a part of that family because we are this moving village where every four to ten weeks we would pack everything up and move and, uh, and then unpack for another six to, to ten weeks and do it all over again. And so you learn to travel light you it's funny because minimalism is that big trend right now <laughs> and the thing is is that i i learned to understand minimalism uh, at that time very very well because i had four suitcases and that was all that i had yeah. and if you bought something new you would have to say goodbye to something wow. and to make room for it right and so we would always have donation boxes at every single city and so, if you had clothes, toys, whatever that you were going to donate, because there were families on tour as well at that time, and so if you had additional things, it, then we would donate it so that it would would go to someone else who could then use it. That's
0: crazy. And so, so you do check luggage or you do carry on when you travel now?
1: We had an actual luggage semi truck, and I was in charge of this, <laughs> and it was a little bit like Tetris trying to organize it. Um, there was a method to the madness um, with. We had a, about 40 bike boxes, because we were all big cyclists. Oh, and so we would all have our bikes and our boxes on tour, and first you'd load in the bike boxes, and then literally you would pick and choose different pieces of luggage and, um, and learn how to load it up in that semi-truck. Uh, yeah. It's That's crazy. It's a crazy day. So how long
0: so, were you with them for, like... For
1: years: I was there until the end of 2009. Oh wow. And at the end of '09, uh, as much as I loved my life on the road, I knew that I wanted to go back to New York City and that there were some other opportunities that I wanted to explore, one of them being whiskey. And so I decided to leave and head back to New York and immediately started working in the spirits industry again in freelance marketing and uh, actually between uh, both automotive as well as spirits but I also knew this time I said I want to pursue whiskey I really want to work in whiskey full-time and so I took a dive at it in a in a different angle Um, I ended up running into an old friend um, Jonathan Pogash Uh who I ran into at a whiskey show and he said what are you doing here I said I'm I'm working one of the whiskey booths. What are you doing here? He said, I'm here with the United States Bartenders Guild. And I said, what's that? And he said, you don't, you don't know anything about it? I said, no. And he said, let me invite you to one of our events. And I went and uh, I went out on a, a they he started sending me invites and they had a, an invite that was a whiskey cocktail thing. And I thought, I'll go to this at this bar. Called Clover Club out in Brooklyn.
0: Oh, just, just that, that just that, that bar. Just that bar,
1: <laughs> and it, um, and it changed, it changed everything for me. To be honest, wow. because suddenly I met all these other people who were creatively doing these incredible cocktails that I'd honestly never really experienced before. But I also was like, these people are all passionate and, and, and nerdy about whiskey the way that I am. Like, they're asking the same kinds of questions. They want to know all the details, and they're interested, and they're interesting, and I want to get involved. And so that's how I got involved, and I started to get involved with the USBG and meeting other people, and at the same time continuing my education. And I decided that I would, I, I would pursue it just in my own way. I said, no, I'm going to go to Scotland and and I want to go and travel around and and visit different distilleries and see what I can learn. I need to take that journey on my own. And so I did that. I'm going to go to Ireland. I'm going to go and do some whiskey studying over there. I'm going to go to Mexico, study some tequila. And I just decided that every opportunity that I had, and sometimes you have to create those opportunities as well. I'm a great believer that you shouldn't just wait for things to come to you. You shouldn't just wait for... Uh, people to be like, let me fly you over yeah. here. <laughs> I go, let me fly myself over there and go and explore. Let me go and learn. Let me put it out there and and just ask questions and and see how stuff works. Um, try my best, and so that's what I did in my free time. Wow. And um, and from there, it took a lot of it took a lot of. Uh, Honestly, it took a lot of interviews, it took a lot of uh, knocking on doors and continued learning. And then I got really lucky because Edrington, uh, the parent company, the McAllen, gave me the chance that I'd always dreamed of. And in 2012, they hired me on as a local whiskey ambassador covering the entire portfolio in New York City. And I began working with them uh, there. And in 2015, transitioned over to our blends as uh, a national brand ambassador for our blended Scotch whiskies, uh, and then in 2000, at the end of 2016, the opportunity became available to make the move over to Madrid. And I thought you've
0: been over here longer than that.
1: Two and a half years.
0: Yeah, I thought it was longer.
1: I feel like it's gone by so fast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you think? Like you said, there was a lot of indies What do you think was the hardest? Uh, the hardest thing about it? portraying yourself as the person that's going to be selling the McAllen brand, whether it be in New York or the the move to Madrid?
1: What's the hardest thing? Honestly, that's that's a really good question. I I I don't think that I I don't think that I portray anything other than who I am. That's the thing. No, honestly it's true because I've always said That I, I always want to represent. I I represent my brand, but I represent myself first, Mm -hmm. always, always. Wow! And it's true. And the thing is, my
0: interviews usually don't go deep, but
1: but they go hand in hand for me. And um, what I really appreciate with our team is that they allow me to be myself. And they always know that I'm going to let our brands shine through that. I'm always going to represent our brands. I'm always going to represent the McAllen. I think all of us as brand ambassadors know that we're we are on 24 yeah. um, seven. But the thing is, is that I'm I'm always going to tell that story through my eyes. Yeah. So that's why when you look at my when you look at my Instagram page, for example, um, you'll see that yes, there are those moments that are that are you know. Events like the Lisbon Bar yeah. Show or special events in, in Paris or in or in Rome and whatnot that um, that can seem very glamorous. But you also will see Nicola yeah. and you do see that I am out there um, that I'm out there running in yeah. the mornings and that I'm out there um, uh, that you see you see me traveling through it all and everything and how I how I view the world and how I view that through my adventures as an ambassador. And so that's I. I always I, I'm very open and very transparent in, in sharing, uh, in sharing my point of view and, oh. and my my life through that through through these eyes as a McAllen ambassador. So
0: wow, that's way deeper than I usually
1: do <laughs> 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 It is so. It's I mean whiskey is a very personal thing, and it's um and it's a very it's a very special thing, and I feel. I do feel very lucky to be in this business. I feel so lucky to to do what I love. I feel very fortunate to work for the McAllen, and, um, and 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 I, I try to, and and that just is going to come out of me every day, um, in all that I do.
0: So, what's the plan for the next two to five years?
1: Next two to five years. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> for me, uh, or for the McAllen, <laughs> for everything. Um, Let's wait and see, right now my plan is to remain in Spain. I adore Spanish culture, I love the country and whatnot. and my plan is to grow with the McAllen there. With with the McAllen, as we continue to grow across the globe, I hope to continue to grow with education, as well as innovation. Those are the two things that I am most passionate about, and so I've always been a big believer in education in this business. Um, in having those conversations and asking questions and learning from each other, I believe in um, not only mentorship but in a lot of peer-to-peer learning. I think we—I I love that we learn a lot from each other um, when we just have those conversations. And when somebody says, "Oh, I've studied this and I've worked in that," and I'm like, "Tell me more about that." We learn so much from one another. So I want to continue to work with our team in in educating um, in. Not just educating the public as well as, as, well as the trade on the, the beauty of Scotch whiskey and the, and the beauty of our brands but also with uh, our new ambassadors as yeah. well. And then in terms of innovation, I'm always, if you ask our liquid quality team, I'm always in there asking questions and saying what are you working on and yeah. how do we do things and how does stuff work and whatnot and I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful that they give me the opportunity to spend time at the whiskey maker's bench asking questions and learning and listening and seeing what they're up to. Um, but I do find that, uh, that for me personally, new product development and innovation and the way that things um, are created and taking into account history and heritage of, of the brand as well as the future, uh, that's, the, that's the thing that interests me the most, in terms of how how you bring that story to life through flavor, through aroma, through through the beauty of what of the liquid is.
0: I could do this for hours,
1: <laughs> but I think we're
0: gonna stop it there. Where are we at? Yeah, I'm gonna stop it there. That was amazing. Thank you.
1: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I ramble, ramble. We didn't even oh, talk about what? olive oil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, actually, you know what? Let's talk about olive oil before we round this off. Why did you get into olive oil?
1: Oh, Okay, so last year, again, in my my continued pursuit of knowledge and learning and and everything, I decided that I wanted to take my nose in different directions. So I I said my goal, my personal objective this year is just to kind of go in different directions uh, with my nose. Because when you are always nosing whiskeys every single day, exactly, you're like, oh, okay, I'm detecting dried fruits. You become so familiar with these different... Aromas yeah. and, and, you know, your senses become focused on one area. And so last year I decided, I studied perfume in Paris and in London with the great Roja Dove, who's a, an incredible master perfumer. Yeah, he has his own Maison de Parfum at Harrods. Brilliant, brilliant two-day course with him. And then I decided to study sherry wines, and I became a sherry wine educator through the Consejo Regulador de los Vinos de Jerez, down in southern Spain, and so that was another way of just, again, continuing to understand whiskey, but also continuing to understand flavors, continuing to understand the beauty of sherry wines, <laughs> and then I also decided to study olive oil, and that was, it, it, honestly, it, it was a, it was a huge surprise. Out of all of those things that I studied, it was the biggest surprise, because I literally just, in Spain, I've fallen in love with all these Spanish things, right? Flamenco, olive oil, sherry, be- all the beauty of, of Spain. And I thought, I love olives, I love olive oil. And I googled like olive oil sommelier or olive oil courses. Uh-huh. And this olive oil sommelier course popped up. And I thought, what's this? Why don't I sign up for it? <laughs> I'm like, it's in Valencia for a week, and then I am continuing on to do a full diploma now on my, I know, on my own. <laughs> and so, um, and so, I signed up, and everyone in my course worked in the olive oil industry in one way, shape, or form, whether they owned olive oil shops, or whether they worked uh, at an olive oil mill, or uh, whether they worked in sales, all different areas, or actual production. And then there was me, and they looked at me, and they were like, "What are you doing here?" I said, "I work in whiskey." <laughs> However, we work with our noses all the time in whiskey, and I wanted to challenge my nose in a different way. What's amazing is in olive oil, they have, uh, you know, the flavor wheel for yeah. whiskey and for wines and for coffees and whatnot. They have one for olive oil as well, and so suddenly you're dealing with things like bitter, um, bitter artichoke, and uh, and. Um, uh, cooked apples and uh, Asparagus and grassy notes and all of these different things and it was an an incredible challenge to start to understand um, The process of a beautiful olive oil and it's so misunderstood So misunderstood the easiest thing when I just ask anyone I go do you know do you know that uh, olive oil has an expiration date? Huh? Who knew right? and that it is a highly oxidative product. That Basically, the moment that you pick that olive, that fruit from the tree, it starts to oxidize. So every single second, every single minute matters from production um, all the way through to bottling and then even when it's bottled and on the shelf. It is degrading through that period of time. So you want your olive oil as, as fresh as can be as soon as it's bottled because that's when you're going to get it at its, at its peak point uh, in terms of flavor. So there's, yeah. And then there's green olives and ripe olives. It depends upon the harvest, depends upon the type of olive that you're dealing with. And then also just like wines, it depends upon uh, the season, right? What was, how was the season, how did, what was the season like? How did it grow? So there's all these different elements and we basically trained, we learned how to not only identify these different flavors and aromas, Um, looking at bitterness, looking at pungency and looking at the fruitiness of the olive oil but also um, to look for defects so training for defects to see if there were any issues during production and if it should be classified as something other than an extra virgin olive oil and it's an extra virgin olive oil that you want to be using and I can tell you right now that it opened my mind and my palate up in a totally different way Um, it was very exciting and interestingly enough again all of those different studies always linked back to whiskey because you look at whiskey and you look at olives they're dealing with different raw materials but they're still going through a production process and then you're also looking at things like blending and you're and you're looking at sensory evaluation and so those are same same but different and so it all links back to whiskey in a very strange roundabout way but um, how many,
0: bottles of, how many <laughs> bottles of olive oil do you have at home
1: I currently have over 30 bottles of olive oil oh my God. <laughs> um, however obviously I don't want them to uh, I don't want them to spoil and so what I've done is I'm taking I'm using it and taking my tasting notes and whatnot and then sharing them with friends, breaking them down, so, and sharing my tasting notes with them as well, so that I can give them bottles so that they can try, so that they can begin to understand, do their own tastings at home, and start to understand the differences and why olive oil is so flavorful, so much fun. Again, just like whiskey, it's about exploring. It's about opening up your mind, opening up your palate, and having fun with it, and like really, really like diving into it and, um, and enjoying it, so.
0: You're incredible, you know that, right? (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Like, olive olive oil, sommelier, and I'm gonna go get my diploma.
1: Next time, I'll be sure to bring some olive oil. I'd love to walk you through a tasting. (laughs) Okay, next
0: time, next time. that was awesome.
1: That was so awesome. It is so nerdy, and I love it so much, Sean. I love it.
0: Thanks, shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, If you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder.